104 Points Online. We are honored that you're joining us today. And if God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org slash my story. It's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. And if you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option. Or you can download our app and choose to get there as well. We are so excited to hear a powerful message from God's Word today. So we're in uh, the fourth week of Throat Punch, and I'm excited to throw some more haymakers. I think today's, today's message might help some people more than any other so far. And it's not because it's going to be better, but it's going to be because every single person, everybody, someone say everybody. everybody. It ain't just you. Even though sometimes you feel like it's just you, everybody deals with this particular issue, and it is fear. Everybody say fear. fear. Now, if you are a macho man, oh yeah, macho man. That's so bad. Some of y'all don't understand. Or some of y'all are too young for macho man Randy Savage, and you should step into a slim gym. <laughs> Old people, you should be laughing right now. You're welcome for that. But fear is something that's so interesting because it's something, it's something that I can compartmentalize and say, I ain't afraid of that. <laughs> I ain't afraid of no ghost. <laughs> Same time, me and you, we're tracking. That's not in my notes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but we like to think to ourselves that we're not afraid, right, if we're tough. Some people, y'all are just willing to admit you're afraid of everything, <laughs> of your shadow, of everything you're afraid. It's like, ah! That's you. But, but then I think maybe for you, this one's going to be easier because you're openly willing to admit that you have fears. And then there's some of us that our pride say, I ain't really afraid of nothing. And we full of crap, everybody. <laughs> Come on. So today's message is titled, Faith, Your Fears. Because it's not good enough to just face your fears. Because sometimes when you face them, you go, I wish I hadn't faced that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Some of y'all ain't never faced your fears before. But there's got to be something that we do when we face our fears, and it's that we faith, faith them. We have to operate in the way that God told us to do it. So here's the question that I have for you is, what are you afraid of? On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just blurt out what it is that you're afraid of. It can be silly or it can be really big, but everybody's going to say it, so don't worry about it. If you don't say it, then we're going to look at you, and we're going to stare at you, and then you're going to be afraid of that. So you might as well say it right now. On the count of three, tell us what you're afraid of. One, two, three. Wasn't that scary? Oh, that right there. That right, flying in an airplane. That's a good one. I would fly every single day. It doesn't scare me, Tony. I, like every single, but listen. But listen, this is what's funny is all of us have something, right? We got that thing. Like for me, it's spiders. I don't know what it is about those stupid little things. Eight-legged, sorry, pieces of, mmm. I'm telling you, if I see a spider, I just don't like them. They're hairy and gross and eight-legged and they look at you and they move. And you would think someone as big as me wouldn't care about a little tiny spider. But I, I golly, Moses. Lee and, I were, Lee and I were working outside the other day, and in the corner in the window, there was a, a black widow. 
I can't stand it, y'all. I got the broom out and I was killing it, and then it was dead. I was still killing it, and I killed it some more. And I, that thing, if it had nine lives, I killed ten of them. Come on. I cannot stand them. I cannot stand them. And then there's other things that we're afraid of that are just as silly um, or sometimes not silly. But if, if I brought a mouse on this stage right now, like half the ladies in here, y'all be out. Tell the truth. Maybe the men. A mice doesn't. A mice. <laughs> Easy for me to say. A mouse doesn't scare me. I don't know why, but it doesn't scare me. But I'm telling you, the ladies in my family, <laughs> my wife will get up on the couch in a minute if, if there's a mouse in the house. Yeah, there's a mouse in the house. I'm like, what you want me to do? That thing's faster than me. I can't get it right now. I'm going to need 20 minutes, right, to go get a trap and to figure out what we're going to do because some of the PETA people in the room, I'm sorry, we kill them, right? Set them free. Let it go. And then people are scared of snakes, right? If you had a snake in here. I got to tell you all the story. This doesn't have anything to do with the message, but I'm not sure why you married me, but I'm so thankful you did. But Leah's been scared of snakes maybe forever since I've known her. And um, one of the guys that lived with me in college in our house, he had a snake. You weren't supposed to, but, you know, rules, (laughs) whatevs. So he had a snake in our house that we were living in. And so I called Leah one time. This is when we still had landlines. I know this sounds crazy that we had landlines. But I called Leah on the landline. I said, come out to the car. I got to show you something. And I had his snake around my neck. It was a boa constrictor, right? And I had hidden it. (laughs) And I popped up from the car and I said, hello, with his head. And you know what? Let's just say this out loud together. Now, it's not my fault anymore. You knew. At that point, you knew. So when everybody says, I feel so bad for you, you shouldn't because I did the snake thing, right? But that was not a good move. Men, do not ever do that. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do not do that because she crawled under the car and then she didn't talk to me for a couple days and then it was all good. But those things are funny, right? Those things, that, that wasn't in particular, but it was for me. Can we be honest? But those, those things that we're afraid of, they're not really things that keep us awake at night unless it's in the house with us. They're not really things that like, that like keep us, they're just things we don't like that we're afraid of. But then there's things in our lives that like, listen to me carefully, that we're really, really, really fearful of. And if we can be honest with ourselves today, we can get to the real issue of what's going on here because this is what I've learned this week. And I think I might have already known this, but I just don't think I dealt with it. It's almost every time if we can identify what we're really fearful of. We can take it one step deeper and we can find out what the real issue is. Because the issue isn't what we're fearful of. That's not the issue. That's not the point. There's something else. There's something else. Like I was thinking about this this week, and this will make a lot of sense as I go through this message, but what are you afraid of? First week of the summer, when the kids first got out of school, my kids and all of y'all first got out of school, um, Leah wanted to sign Haston up for baseball camp. And um, if y'all don't know, if y'all are a guest here or, um, or you've not been here long, our Haston is six, and he is the coolest kid ever. He's awesome. Um, he's the sweetest boy I think I've ever met, but he is autistic. And so when you're around him, I don't think you can really tell, um, 
but when he starts doing motor skills things, you can really tell. And so you have to remember this as I'm telling this story, is I grew up loving sports and I was an athlete. And so I don't know if this is just me or if, if y'all can understand what I'm saying, but if you're an athlete in the room, you expect your kids will be that, right? And then I was a coach, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to build this stud, right? <laughs> he's going to be a monster, and he's going to do his thing. And he still may be. He's only six years old. But what I've noticed is when he's around the kids his age, he, can't, he doesn't function the way that they do, right? So, so this is fine, and I've never pushed him to do anything, and we just do our thing and whatever. But then Leah says, let's take him to, um, to baseball camp. And if you would have told me when we were first married that I would be the one that was afraid of baseball camp, I would have told you, <laughs> come on, man, I'm not afraid of anything. But when Leah suggested this, I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I, that's not, I don't think that's a very good idea. And we had this discussion in my house about why it wasn't a good idea, and I said to her, well, he doesn't catch really well, and he, and he can't throw. Like, he can throw, but he can't get it back to me. And, and before we sign him up, I'm going to need him to do these certain things. And the truth is, it had nothing to do with his skill set whatsoever. Now, I would have identified that it was his skills. But I was afraid. I was afraid because I couldn't do it for him. I was afraid because I couldn't fix it. I was afraid because I couldn't go in there and be the hero and the champion of the day. And I hated it. And I thought of every single way to do it. And on Friday afternoon, the week before it happened, she tried to sign him up Wednesday and then Thursday. And on Friday, I was over here praying about the message. You know, God, work hard in our message. Do this great thing. And I really felt like the Lord told me, sign him up. And I was like, huh. Are you sure, Lord? Because he can have fun with mommy this week. And we did. And I'm going to finish that later. But I just want you to know that I've begun to realize that my fear had nothing to do with would Haston do well at baseball. It had something to do that was a lot deeper. And I bet you, if you could be honest with yourself today, you could identify something in your life that if I ask you to do it, if I ask you to do this today, if I ask you to yield in this certain area, it would grip you. Because for some of you, it would be letting your kids go, right? For some of you, it would be, for some of you, it would be your job because you love to control it. For some of you, it would be an outcome that you look over your shoulders and it's six months away, but you just don't know how you can get to the end of it. And when that becomes our lives... We operate out of that in every area, listen to me, but we can't see it. And so the only thing that I can do in that area and in every other area from that point on, and everybody sees it, listen to me, don't miss this, everybody sees it but me, is I try to control everything to make sure that it doesn't get unsafe, that it doesn't get uncomfortable. Y'all look at this. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, when Paul is speaking to his young apprentice, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says this, listen, he wrote, 
And, and we wrote this as a result of what he, what he spoke in a letter that he wrote to Timothy. Look at this. It says, God gave us a spirit not of, what's that word? Fear. Say it again. Fear. Like God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power and love and self-control or a sound mind is what, is what the King James and the New King James says, of, of a clear head. And I think to myself, what's fear got to do with self-control? Except when I'm operating in this area, I have no clear-headedness or self-control in these other areas because now I'm gripped by this, this fear. So i got to show you this real quick. This is what, what fear really means is timidity, to be timid. It's, it's probably not what we think because if I, if, if I was your enemy, what I would try to do, and I did this, some of y'all did this when you played ball, is, is you can talk junk and get somebody out of their game. You know what I'm talking about? Come on now. I know some of y'all are quiet assassins, but I was a trash talk. Huh? Still am a little bit. To God be the glory. I give him all the praise. Praise the Lord. But if I can get in your head before we get started, I've already beat you. Did you know that? You might be a lot better than me, but like whenever you watch sports, when you see those annoying guys or gals that are doing their thing and they're like, I can't stand I'm going to name one of them because I love him because <laughs> he plays for the team I like. I can't stand Draymond Green, who plays for the Warriors. Yeah. Praise the Lord for Draymond Green and the Warriors. <laughs> Hashtag the champ is here. Some of y'all don't even know what basketball is, so y'all just stay with me. <laughs> but the reason people dislike him is because he's annoying, and he gets under people's skin, and he talks trash the entire time, and he uses language that is so uplifting and spiritually sound, amazing, <laughs> not at all. But his goal is to intimidate his opponent before the thing even gets started. Listen to me. Why do we think that when the Bible says that our battle is not flesh and blood, but principalities and darkness, so put on the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, that the enemy doesn't want to intimidate us by any means necessary? He's talking junk 24-7. But listen to me. This is the problem. This is the problem. Is he doesn't do it like Draymond. Where it's out loud and flamboyant and big and brash and over the top is quiet. And it's little and it's subtle, like a splinter would be in your hand. It's that small. Until it starts living there. And I all of a sudden let timidity or this fear grip me. And listen, there must be something to the fact that Paul said he doesn't give us a spirit of fear. If he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, then I would argue on the flip side that the enemy must give us that spirit. And that this is not just something that we feel, but it is a spiritual battle every single day in our lives. And so the goal is to intimidate me, to compel me or detour me by threats. The threat of what? Like that's the question, right? Isn't that the question that we were starting with right before I was about to get started with worship is what's that thing that's holding you back that, 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 that you're holding on to that you can't let go in your life? That's, that's probably the area that you're being intimidated by. I'm going to ask this right now. What would the world look like? Listen to me. What would the world look like if every single Christian in this room operated believing exactly what God has said about you? If we stood upright and said, I don't care what people have said, I know that I'm a child of God. I know that they speak that I can't accomplish this, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
I know that, that many people think that I'm crazy for what I'm doing, but I'm not worried about what they think. I'm worried about what he says. What if we operated that way? But it's hard because it's real cool to talk about, but to actually do it is everything different. It's craziness, y'all. Because it's not just one thing that comes against us. It feels like this is a compound fraction that it keeps on going. And it's like, how many layers is there? Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? And it just keeps on going and keeps on going. And you're like, I would never argue out loud that I'm intimidated. But if I can take an inventory of my life and look back and say, huh. I just got to speak on it. I've been silent about this for a long time, and I don't know what the, this is for you. Y'all ever noticed how difficult it is to share your faith with someone in your family? Talk to me in here. Yes. Like, you'll talk about sports. You'll talk about going shopping. What, I don't know what y'all like, so I'm just naming stuff. But you start talking about Jesus. Oh, we don't talk about religion. It's because it's become intimidating. Because intimidation is how I would define the United States of America today. Listen to me. I'm not trying to just do play on words, but timid nation. You say one thing that's out of the ordinary, you'll be on one of the news cycles, either the left or the right, right? If you say something that's too far right, CNN. If you say something too far left, Fox News. And they'll go crazy because they're over the top for their side. I'm not worried about their side. I could care less which side you're on or their side, left side, right side, strong side, upside, down side. I don't care about any of those sides. I'm talking about his side. The place that the church is most silent is what God's about. And it's because we're afraid we'll offend someone. Well, I got good news for you. You will. We are offensive. The gospel is offensive without having to do anything. We don't, have to, we don't have to give things away or play crazy stuff to be offensive. We just have to say the name of Jesus. But we're afraid. What if they don't understand? Y'all listen to me. The Bible says that Christians don't understand, so I promise you they won't understand. So if that's how we stay gripped, then we can honestly get on the same page and say this. We're intimidated. But it's more than just words. It's more than just people. This is not a people problem. It's a spirit problem. And we've battled it poorly. And this is, this is another verse that Paul wrote to the people of Romans. I think this is so fascinating. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into, what's that word? Fear. Isn't that interesting? Because in this case, Paul didn't say we, do, we didn't receive a spirit of fear. It was of slavery that makes us fall back into fear. And these two words right here, y'all, fear and slavery, are almost identical in the original language. They come from the exact same root. Which means, everybody look this way. Each one of us, whether it's today or probably at some point this week, have operated from a spirit of slavery or bondage, like chains is what this actually means, where we're so gripped with what somebody thinks or with what something might happen, like Haston, if he goes there, what if someone's mean to him? What if I can't fix it? What if I can't make it right? What if there's something that I can't do about it? What if, what if, what if, what if? And we've got to change the what if to so what? Because until what if becomes so what, I'll always be in slavery. But y'all, I'm telling you, this is easy to preach. This is hard to do. 
This is such a good verse, y'all. He says, but you've received the spirit of adoption, sonship, not male, but each one of us in the family of God that once we were, we were wandering around aimlessly not knowing who we were, trying to seek out what our identity is. And once the Lord Jesus responds to your call because he sought you first, but once you acknowledge that he loved you first and I love you back, all of a sudden I'm a son of his. I am adopted into the family of God as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now let me tell you what this means. This means daddy, like a child screams out to their daddy, help me. Do you know what I was feeling in that moment with my boy? Daddy can't go fix it. Daddy can't go save every single thing. If you're a daddy in this room or a mama in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're afraid something will happen to your kid. That's why parents do irrational things to teachers. Because I realize there's been a bad teacher or two. But let's talk. Let's be real for a second. I'm going to offend somebody, I hope. Right? You're welcome. I was a teacher for four years. I had some meeting with, meetings with parents that I wanted to stop the meeting and go, listen, let's get on the same page real quick. You are 40. Your kid is 15. I'm my age, whatever I was at the time. What possibly in the world would I have to pick on your kid on purpose who I love? Is this rational? Is it rational the way that we at Little League baseball games lose our freaking minds cussing out umpires who's making 15 freaking dollars an hour? You freaking suck! And that was really nice because I couldn't say what they is really said. Jesus, help me. And like, listen, y'all have been there and I've done it! You're the biggest freaking moron in Right? And we're going bananas. But this is rational. This is of sound mind, <laughs> right? This is what everyone, like, but when you're in the middle of it, you know what, what really helps whenever someone's coming at you and you know that it's not really that? It's to think, if I come back at you with anger and hostility, I'm not going to help this situation at all because your problem is not that your kid is not getting to play enough. Your problem is not that your kid might not be good at throwing the ball. Your problem is not that you didn't get the raise that you thought you should. Your problem is that you're not quite sure if Abba Father really wants to call you son. And as I operate out of rejection, and as I operate out of wondering if I'll be abandoned, because I thought about this this week as I was going through the message, y'all. I just thought, isn't it interesting that the Lord spoke in Deuteronomy, and then repeated it in Hebrews, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But whenever we're operating out of fear, we must be operating out of the fact that that must be for everybody else but me. That must be he'll leave, he'll never leave you and forsake you, but he will leave me and forsake me. He will forget about me, he will desert me, he will abandon me. Because even though I believe this Jesus thing is real, even though I believe that you can feel God in this place when we're together, I constantly operate in slavery or a spirit of it and fall back into my own fears. And it's heavy and it sits on me. 
And you know what the problem is, is then I start lashing out at you in areas that have nothing to do with what I'm really fearful of. Because it's not if Haston can catch a ball. It's that daddy can't fix it all. Because daddy's afraid that if I'm not able to do all of these great things and make him think that I've got it all together, well, then something might actually happen to him that's not really good. Something might happen to him that's really bad. He might, he might get hurt. It might not be safe. I don't know if I'm hitting anything with anybody today. I hope so. But I'm just telling you right now, life isn't safe. And as long as we try to play it safe, listen to me carefully. If y'all don't get anything else, I hope you'll hear what I'm saying right now. As long as we try to play it safe, you can put slavery and safety right beside each other because that's what it'll be. Because you don't get to control that. And can I tell you something? This, is, this one's hard for me to preach. Because <laughs> I wish it was just about spiders. Because <laughs> I can step on a spider. As a matter of fact, when Zach was in my office this morning, right before I came out, there was a spider on my freaking door. And I said, to hell with the devil and everybody else. This is awful, right? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> like I was scared to death of that spider. But y'all listen to me. That, ha that has nothing to do with what's the real problem in my life. Is when I operate in these crazy different areas that come up and I seem crazy, I'm irrational enough to not realize that it's identity that I'm searching for. It's sonship. It's a brotherhood. And I, like I said, I, I don't mean that gender specific. This is male and female. It's because we have such a desperate need in our lives to belong Listen to me, because I know y'all know what I'm talking about. We have such a desperate need to belong that when someone's messing with our kids, I'll show them. But in reality, we're not showing them anything. We're just showing them that we don't have control. So this is the question that everybody's got to ask. Will I face my fears? Not face alone. Will I stand in faith and that means, will I fight or will I flight? I got to teach y'all something real quick. The Bible describes us as sheep. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And whenever a sheep, and if y'all have been at Four Points a long time, you've heard me preach on Psalm 23, and you've heard some of this, but I want to hit this just for a couple minutes. Whenever a sheep hears an enemy, they have very poor eyesight, so they probably can't see a wolf that's coming up to get them. They probably can't see a bear that's coming up to get them and it scares them to death and it grips their hearts and they run in fear. Flight. For a sheep to stand still when they can't see what's coming is the craziest thing in the world because it means they have so much belief in their shepherd that no matter what comes their way, their shepherd will stand in the, in the way and not let it come to them. The hardest thing about being a Christian isn't sharing our faith it's standing and fighting and you know what I learned this week and I think I already knew it but I don't think I was really doing it I just was reminded over and over how the Bible says that he'll fight for us we just need to be still 
in Exodus 14, 14. And it happens again and again in scripture. And how many times I try to fight my own battle when God just asked me to stand, stand firm in the faith. But I run and I scream and I shout. And then we ask questions like this. How can that person call themselves a Christian and they are out cussing somebody out, but you don't know what they're operating from? Why do we kill each other? Why, why are we so hateful toward each other that are followers of Jesus? Y'all, we are screwed up people that are going to do those things, especially when we're operating in bondage that we don't have to operate in anymore. We get to operate in freedom. The yoke of slavery can be broken in our lives, but if we can't recognize that it is not about the thing that we're afraid of, but it's about our own self-identity and that do we really belong, then we'll always operate that way and we'll lash out and then hope that a prayer can cover it and fix it. And it doesn't. So let me teach you a couple things. The Bible describes, this isn't the definition of faith, but it describes faith as the assurance or the things that we hope for and the conviction of the things not seen. It's this deep-rooted conviction of I can't see it. But watch this. It's intimidating to, get, to go where we've never been before. Anytime God asks you to take a step, the truth is we've never been where we're about to go. Oh, you might drive to work every single day, but I promise you if you walk with God, he will open a door that he asks you to go into. And if you're operating in the fear and the grip of slavery that leads you back to fear, you can rest assured that you won't face your fears. You'll run from them. That you won't live a so what life, you'll live a what if life. And every single thing that you operate in will be, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if I can't? What if I won't? What if they make fun of Haston in that moment? What if, what if they ridicule him? What, so what? What can I do to control that outcome? And even if I could control it, would it make him better? Is it safe? Will I be alone? What's it going to be like? Everybody say this together. I don't know. Say, I don't know. And I never will. We will never know. We will never know all the outcomes of our lives. And as long as we stay on the sideline or stay safe, then you can promise one thing. And there's only one thing we can promise, stay. God does not want you to stay where you want to stay. God wants you to stand so he can move you where he wants you to go. And this is what he said. This is how I want you to go. You walk by faith and not by sight. And then I'm going to preach for a minute if that's good with y'all. It says faith comes from... Huh. I'm going to say something that might sound controversial, and I'm cool with controversy as long as it's <laughs> the Bible. Here's where I think we get into a problem with just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is awesome. There's a lot of people in this room and that will listen to this message online that have read the Bible through 25 times and they operate in the slavery of, or in the, in the bondage of slavery that leads to fear. You've read it, you've read it, you've read it. But this does not say faith comes from reading. This says faith comes from? Hearing. Say it again. Hearing. So how do we hear the word? How do we hear it? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I believe that I can give y'all some keys today that can help you walk. You've got to speak it. It's not enough to read it. It is not enough to know it. Because what speaking does is it activates the Word of God to go from a brain thing to a heart thing. 
Faith is a seed that is to be planted into my soul in the depths of me so that when I can't see it and I can't believe it and I can't know, it's still hitting the depths of my heart. But if I'm not speaking the word of God over my life, and I know you've got to know it, so I'm not putting down reading it. But what I'm saying is there's lots of people that have degrees in the Bible, and I'm one of them, that operate in slavery because I'm not willing to speak it. When the enemy's coming head on and intimidating me, I'm not willing to stand and say, oh, no. No, 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 I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I don't care what you say about me, enemy. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a piece of garbage on my own. My righteousness of my own self is filthy rags in the eyes of God, but I'm the righteousness of God because he calls me that. I'm a son of God because he called me that. Abba, Father, come help me. And whenever I will stand firm in my faith and say this, then listen, this is where I really thought I was supposed to hit on. How do you face your fears? I think I've gotten this wrong most of my life, y'all. Because if, if you grew up in church or you know about the Bible, then you've heard the faith of a mustard seed. If you just had the faith of a mustard seed, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could look at that mountain and tell it to move and it would move. And we just think, if I could get a little bit of faith, but I don't think that's the point in the size of it. It is one of the smallest seeds. And Jesus said, and it produces one of the largest trees and forests. But here's what I think. The point is not the size of the seed. The point is planting the seed. And the only way to plant the seed is speak the word. Listen to it. Speak it. Declare it over your life and not let it just sit there. And most of us stay stuck in ourselves because we think, I've read this thing. Why is it not working? And I learned this too. And I know this is for somebody. I've gotten real excited in here before and at the end of a message, or maybe even before a message, or just felt charged up. I threw something in my office on Thursday when I learned this. At the name of Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. At his name, there's nothing that can stand up. And there's a story in Acts chapter 19 that says it's called the sons of Sceva. Listen to me. And it says that Paul was so anointed that even the handkerchiefs that he left behind had healing anointing on it. And people would get healed. Can you imagine? You blow your nose, you leave it behind, the waitress gets healed because you had your handkerchief there. It's freaking crazy. And I've gone through these motions. My gosh, I think I'm about to give y'all something. I've gone through these motions of like, maybe if I pray a little bit more, maybe if I do a little bit more, maybe if I touch my nose right and raise my left leg and, and do the hokey pokey and turn myself around enough with Jesus, then that'll do it. And I learned this. And this is how I think you have to activate faith. This is how I think the spoken word becomes planted. This is what we've missed. This is why we stay in the bondage of slavery is because these guys looked at Paul and said, oh, okay, we can do that. And I'm paraphrasing, but it says that they tried to emulate what Paul was doing by taking the name of Jesus and doing these magic tricks. And they go up to a demon-possessed person and they say, in the name of that Jesus dude that he's saying about, get out. This is what it says in Acts 19. Y'all look it up, sons of Sceva. It says that the demon looked at them and said, oh, okay, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you. And pounce, the demon went on him. And I was like, I got to figure out what this means. It says that the name... In the Greek, this is what it says, that name does not mean mark. It means intimacy with so distinctly that you know the character intimately. 
It's that you have such an intimate relationship with someone that I know your character. And when someone talks about you, I can say, yeah, but I know him. And what we've done with Jesus is we've made him a book. The word of God is in leather in some of your houses and on my iPad, but it is not a book. It is the living, breathing, active word that is Jesus. And, and he doesn't want it to sit on our nightstand or be something that we read right before we go to bed, but it's intimacy that leads to me knowing him. And as I walk, as I walk, as I live this life, then I can look at the enemy. I can look at anyone who comes against us. I can look at a demon and say, in the name of Jesus. And I'm not just doing something that's religious. I'm not just adding a tagline at the end of a prayer because that's what I've heard you're supposed to do. I have an intimacy with my Lord Jesus and I speak his word over my life. I know his word in my life. It is planted in faith in my life. I'm faithing my fears. In the name of Jesus, you stand up and walk. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, get out of them. In the name of Jesus, mountain, you move. And then that mustard seed is planted, and then I can move. But what we do is we operate in the bondage of slavery, and we hope that we can be the sons of Sceva and go, hey, Jesus, I'm using your name now in that prayer at the end of my lunch because I think that's what I'm supposed to do. This thing isn't about how much you read the Bible. This thing is not about how much you pray. This is a relationship that is intimate, that is closely walking like a husband and wife. It is walking with God every single day. And when I don't do that, here's what I'm saying. I want you to believe that I'm married to Leah, but I'm living two states away. But whenever someone wonders if I'm married, I just say, Leah! And people would look at me and go, yeah, but I've never... I've never recognized that y'all have this intimacy together. I can't faith my fears with someone that I don't know. And then I realized this. I realized that the reason that I wonder so much about my own personal identity is because I lack intimacy. Because sonship isn't something that I can earn, it's something that I received because he named me son because I called him Lord. For the rest of my life, this is the decision that I'll make. Do I believe that I'm the standard that has to live up to something and be good enough, or do I know that my God has already done all of these things and he finished the work on the cross and he paid my debt in sin and now I get to stand up knowing that things sometimes don't look like what I wish they would, but faith comes by hearing. I walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to leave you with this verse because I'm, I, think it's, I think it's so amazing. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, Everyone who has been born of God, listen to me, Christians, I'm talking to you, but I'm about to talk to the people that don't know Jesus because this, this should be you at the end of today. Every single one of us who's born of God overcomes the world. How do I overcome this fear? How do I overcome this anxiety? How do I overcome my identity? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the, the world. What does it say? Our faith. Our faith. I'm overcomers, or I'm an overcomer, not because I put on my magic clothes and, and I sound better or I look better or I preach good enough or I do anything, but because God plants himself in me. Faith comes by me every day yielding and being persuaded to stand. 
I will not run. I will not be afraid. I will stand firm in my faith. One of the greatest decisions that I made this summer, and some of y'all I know have heard this already, but one of the greatest decisions that I've made this summer is the simple decision to look at Leah and say, sign hasten up. It had to come as a surprise because I was, I was staunchly against it. Sign hasten up. And then I told her that night when we were laying in bed, I said, I really feel like the Lord said to me, just yield. Just yield in this area. Can I tell you something crazy? Haston had such a great time. And I have no idea if he did well. And that's not the point, is it? And it never was the point. So I came to ask you today, what do you need to yield in? What's the area of your life that you've held on to so hard, so deeply, that you know you need that little bit of faith not to look good, but to just be planted? You need to let that go. You need to let that be overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You need to let it go. You need to let an outcome go that you cannot control and you've tried to control it and everybody sees it but you. Everybody sees it but me. Let it go. If we are to be the ones that change the culture, God has to change this culture, this heart of stone. And I believe in this room, I'm just being honest with y'all, that, that I would argue the majority of people have something that you need to let go. And we want to give you that opportunity right here and right now. Will you pray with me? God, in these moments, help us identify the thing that we've held on to, the place that has gripped us in slavery. Help us throw them off and realize that only you, Jesus, are capable of changing my heart and my life. Lord, I can try as hard as I want to, do as much as I can do, but I'll always be gripped. It's not a spider that scares me. And the reality is, it's not haste and going to a baseball camp that scares me. It's me not controlling everything. It's me not knowing if it's safe. Lord, I choose you not because you're safe, but because you're good and because you chose me first. We yield fully to you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I believe there's some ministry time that needs to happen. I wonder in this room if anybody would say, the truth is in my life, I have no identity because I'm not a son or daughter of God. I've never given my heart and life to him. I'm ready to surrender all to Jesus today. All to Jesus I surrender. I call you Lord and friend because you died to save my soul. If that's you in this room, and that's your declaration. You're ready to be called son or daughter. You're ready to say you are my Lord and Savior right now. Just throw your hand up and keep it up for me. Come on, be proud. I'm ready. If you're lost and you're hurting and you're broken, this is you. Don't you let anything keep you from throwing your hand up and saying, I'm ready. I'm so tired of not knowing if I'm one of his. I'm so tired of wandering through my life. I'm ready for Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Come on, all over this room, who are you? I'm ready to say Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my friend. I give my heart to him today. I give my life to him today. I need to know in this room, if there's anybody that's bold enough to stand to their feet and say, I'm ready for the chains and the, of slavery 
that lead to fear to be broken in my life. I can identify by looking in the mirror, but I know that only the Lord Jesus can break the yoke. And I'm so tired of wandering and trying to control and wondering if it's safe enough and I'm ready to stand in his name. Just as a picture of what that means to stand, I just want you to stand to your feet right where you are. I really believe that the majority of the room probably could stand right now. But I wonder if you will be honest enough to say, I feel like I've been in bondage. Thank you. I feel like I've been in bondage. Come on, stand to your feet if this is you. If you really want to see change happen in your life, don't stay seated. Stand to your feet and say, God, I need your, I need you. I'm so tired of trying to control all outcomes. I'm tired of being out of control in my life. I'm tired of things overwhelming me and I'm ready to faith straight on my fears in you. Thank you, Lord. God, in these moments, I just pray the yoke of bondage off of each person that is willing to boldly stand. And I thank you for not giving up on us because, Lord, I would have given up on me a long time ago but we will not be intimidated any longer. We will stand under your Lordship and say, we will follow you. We will follow you. So in Jesus' name, we declare freedom and peace and hope. Not just a name, Lord, but an intimacy that we walk in, that when we speak your name, things move. Not because we're powerful, but because you give us the spirit of power. Not because we love naturally, but you gave us the spirit of love. Not because we have self-control on our own, but you give us self-control. And we operate in those in your powerful and awesome name, intimately walking with you as sons and daughters of the King. We declare these things and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Y'all stand and sing with us.